We are in Psalm 124. We're going to try to go all the way through 126 today. And again, this is another of the Psalms of Ascents. The Psalms that could have been or probably were were spoken and, and um, quoted as people traveled to Jerusalem for the festivals in Jerusalem. Psalm 124 says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against it, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, if is just such a small little word, but it means a lot, doesn't it? can say a ton. What might have been but was not to be. And Psalm 24 begins with two if statements. They're both rhetorical statements because the non-if is not just an improbability, it's an impossibility. Spurgeon said this, yet there is no if in the matter. The Lord was on our side and is still our defender, and will be so from henceforth, even forever. Let us with holy confidence exult in this joyful fact. We are far too slow in declaring our gratitude. So if the Lord had not been on our side, but he is on our side, will be on our side, and it wasn't, there wasn't a chance he wasn't going to be on our side. And when you look at the opposition that has surrounded Israel over the course of history, the fact that it even exists as a country today is a testament to the first three verses of this psalm. It is as true today, or maybe we could even say truer today, than it was when these words were penned. If the Lord had not, if it had not been for the Lord, Verse 2, if it had not been for the Lord who is on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. What comes to mind is God's protection of Israel. Now, just some of the better known events, and this is not all, just a couple of the better known events. Remember Egypt's planned attack at the Red Sea in Exodus 14? They were going to destroy. How about the battle of Gideon? I think I put Gibeon in there. i sorry about the typo. Gideon in Joshua 10. Then there's the Syria invasion in 2 Kings 15 and 17. Assyria came to destroy. Then the Babylonian invasion in the captivity in 2 Kings 25. 
Then we have Haman's plot against the Jews in the book of Esther. He wanted to kill every Jew he could find. Then if you get outside of Scripture, there's the Maccabean Revolt in the 2nd century B.C. And we're not going to go and study all about the Maccabean Revolt, but it's a major deal. The, the, The Romans, they wanted to smash them all. Hitler's final solution of World War II. And what's Islam's goal today? It's the ruination of Israel. And that's going on currently. And it will continue to go on. God has protected Israel multiple times. What other nation in the world exists with the hatred that Israel has endured over centuries. I can't think of one. So then we look back at that, thinking about that. If it had not been for the Lord who is on their side, then, verse 3, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away and the torrent would have gone over us. Now remember, this was written before most of these events took place. Now three images are presented. Oh, by the way, when I sent out the email yesterday, I put the wrong file on it. So I will send it out again with the notes you have in front of you. The fact that they're up here, you know I made, I did it, right? But three images are presented as to what would have happened if the Lord had not preserved the nation. 1 verse 3, they would have been swallowed up like an animal eats its prey. Think of an animal taking its prey and swallowing up its, you know, what it was going to eat. Boom, gone. Verse 4, they would have been swept away like flood water, sweep away whatever it's in its path. You know, we've all seen pictures of floods. And floods are destructive. They just take out everything. And if it had not been for the Lord helping Israel, that would have happened. And then in verse 4, a torrent would have rushed over them. It's like a flood, only it's more sudden. A flood, you kind of know it's coming in a way, but a torrent, a sudden torrent, inflicts substantial quick damage. The two pictures are first a steadily rising flood, and the second is a rushing stream or a river. When it just, a torrent, just boom. So a flood rises slowly and the torrent takes you away. Both of them have incredible power. Just look at some of the pictures from uh, uh, the floodwaters at the, the last hurricane that just went through Florida. You know, pretty pretty impressive power. <clears throat> but if that would have happened, then over us would have gone the raging waters. The result of what would have occurred without the Lord's protection is stated in verse 5. And so the writer is well aware of the fact that that it was not the nation's strength or abilities or luck 
that preserved them. It was the Lord that preserved them. It wasn't, boy, we got lucky there. Well, no, God preserved you there. And God's preserved the nation many times. And then in verse 6, the focus turns to the correct place. Because these didn't sweep us away. Because the Lord had protected us. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The focus turns to the correct place. To praise the Lord or to praise God for what he had done. Now how do I bring this forward? How do we bring this forward to today? Well... God will protect his church. He will protect his own, his children, from those who rise up against them. And our enemy has a lot of sheer numbers. The attacks against God and his church come from multiple fronts. They come from false religious systems that hate Christian teachings. And they're all over. They're all over. They come from a worldview that opposes the Bible. If you go into this, these home study groups, they're talking about the worldview a little bit that opposes Scripture. And if we think it's just a few people that think that way, it's pretty much... Everyone who's not a believer. It comes from an educational system that promotes evolution instead of creation. Therefore, if I get evolution being the worldview, there's no accountability to a creator. Evolution creates a moral position that there is no morality except what we want to accept as a culture. That's how we get it. And if the majority says, well, this is moral, yeah, good, go with it. And if the, if the majority says, no, that's not moral, then don't go with it. And we're seeing that in spades right now in the LGBTQ and the abortion, the transgender, uh, just for just three examples, and there'll be more to come. I'm kind of sick and tired of people asking, even Christians, well, what do you think about the LGBTQ movement? And I want them to ask me. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. God says it's an abomination. I don't get to vote. God says this. Yes. Yeah, Mike Simpson just voted to affirm homosexuality. Uh huh. Yeah. Because everything is relative. It's just so how I can. Oh well, I got to be loving to these people. You know, and. <clears throat> You think that that agenda is going to stop there? Uh-uh. 
It's going to go flying way past that. This is just getting started. But we have an educational system. We have a governmental system. We have social institutions that promote the goodness within mankind. You know, our socialist, oh, man's basically good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all opposed to what the Bible says. Again, we don't get to vote. God tells us what is true and what is false. And it makes sense. You know, it's logical, it's consistent. But if someone asks you what you think about the gay rights or any of that stuff, say, why do you ask me what I think? The Bible tells us what is right and wrong. And I can tell you why also I believe the Bible is the word of God. If you, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, years ago, Vody Bauckham gave a message, and this is probably 10, 12 years ago, on why he believes the Bible. And he has about a 30-second quote, 45-second quote, and I ought to write it down because it's really good. You have it? Oh, it's good. You have it. Do you have it written down somewhere? I think I have. I might have it in my mind. I, yeah, I have it written down. I can write it down. If you, if you send it to me, I'll send it out. Okay. Do you want me to say it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I choose to believe the Bible because the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and its writings claim to be divine rather than human in origin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you knew that. It's a it's a it's a great quote. You know, so if you get it to me, I'll send it out. But but we believe the Bible for a reason. And we have all these, these enemies like Israel had to try to destroy Christianity. But God's not going to let that happen. If it were not for the Lord, Christianity may be swallowed up. But that's a rhetorical question, just like it was for Israel. God will save. He will protect. He will keep. I like there's a there's a song out there. Um, God has always had a people. And that's going to continue forever. Now, we're not going to be the majority. Okay? We're not going to swing in and everybody's going to come over. The Holy Spirit's going to bring who he brings. I put this quote in here from Spurgeon. I put the whole thing in your notes when I get it sent out to you. <clears throat> Spurgeon stated this. Had not God been with us our disdainful enemies would have made nothing of us and dashed us over to a mountain torrent as a mountain torrent sweeps down the side of a hill driving everything before it 
Not only would our goods and possessions have been carried off, but our soul, our courage, our hope would have been borne away by the impetuous assault and buried beneath the insults of our antagonists. Let us pray, let us pause here and see what might have been. Let us adore the guardian power which has kept us in the flood, yet above the flood. In our hours of dire peril, we must have perished had not our preserver prevailed for our safekeeping. And he wrote that 160 years ago or so. It's still true. We need to reflect on those things that God has done for us. Most notable, redemption and forgiveness of sin. If, and I put that in quotes, if God had not reached out to us, where would we be? But he did. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our thoughts and with the psalmist here proclaim, because God has done that. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord. Verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord. Now embedded in verse 8, we could just go on by it and go, hmm. But it says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Pew Research Center reported in December 2013 that 60% of Americans believe that humans and other things have evolved over time. Now, I'm sure it's higher than that now. I would think so. A science Alert reported in 2015 that around 65% of all adults in the U.S. believe that humans have evolved. But only 35% thought it was due to causes independent of a higher power, in other words, theistic evolution. And another 31% said they believe that humans have always existed in their current form since the beginning of time. Yeah, it kind of makes your head go, huh? That's what they said. You don't have to search very far to find out that the driving force behind the evolutionary push in the last couple hundred years is really to push God out of society. And they, they, they've even said it. You know, I tried to, I was thinking on trying to find some quotes, but I've, I've seen many of them. But they want to push God out of society. Adels Huxley is one, by the way. In particular, the moral fabric of society and specifically the moral actions revolving around individual pleasure. That's what it's about. That's what they will say if they're really honest. I want to do what I want to do so I can get the pleasure I want and not have any guilt about it. And if I take God out, I'm fine. And I'll worry about this eternal thing. We'll, fit, we'll find an answer for it. They haven't, but they'll, they think that. But you cannot slice out just the actions you want and have no accountability and leave the rest. It's an all-or-nothing position. If you take the evolutionary piece, you throw it all out. 
But here also is another reference in Scripture that attributes creation to God. We all think, well, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Good. You know, in John 1, he created all things. But we have it right here in Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He made them out of what? Out of nothing. And he did not make primordial soup or a primordial soup to let the evolutionary process take over. We could talk about that for a long, long time. There are countless problems in believing in the evolutionary methods of creation. And not the least problem is that the Bible says otherwise. God created, and his creation was complete, full, and not requiring any species advancement. Yes? Well, evolutionists have to ignore the fossil record. Not they have to ignore basically everything. Their 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 trump card, if you could call it that. Throw time at it and it'll work. Well, time doesn't work. That doesn't work. You, there's not enough time. Not anywhere close to enough time. But our help, our help, is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm sure glad God created and made heaven and earth. Because if he didn't, we got ourselves a big mess. That's Psalm 124. Psalm 125. This is the sixth of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. And this psalm deals with the security of believers in God, regardless of the present conditions. Says those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, for the scepter of the of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in the heart in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Now here, believers in the Lord are compared to Mount Zion. Verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Now Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is built. The foundation of Mount Zion is bedrock. It's just not going to pick up and go somewhere. For the Israelites who are reading this psalm at the time it was written, their trust is not in Mount Zion. They trust in the Lord. It's easy to place trust in other things. Even for believers. And I want to make sure I'm, I state this right. I hope I will. We do not trust in the Bible, but we trust in the writer of the Bible. And because God is the author 
and he is true to his word, we trust in the Bible. And one reason I went here is I, I went out to, and looked at this, and you can find hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds, I stopped looking, where people will say, trust in prayer, the power of prayer. Well, I'm here to tell you, prayer by itself has no power. None. We trust in God, who says he hears and answers our prayer. Therefore, prayer has value, all because of God. There are a lot of people that pray today who aren't believers. That prayer does absolutely no good. And the only reason our prayer does good is because we pray to God the creator of heaven and earth who hears us. So those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Regarding prayer, I found a couple quotes. There are many quotes about it that take God out of the equation. Here's a quote. Prayer is not an old woman's idle amusement. Properly understood and applied, it is the most important, the most potent instrument of action now the person who said that was not a Christian not even close it was Mahatma Gandhi prayer didn't have power God has power another person wrote and I don't know who this person was if the only prayer you were ever saying in your entire life is thank you it will be enough okay and there's, there's another one and I saw this many times. Lots and lots of images on this. Never doubt the power of prayer. Our trust must always be in God and only in God. That's the emphasis of verse 1. Spurgeon wrote on this, What a privilege to be allowed to repose in God. How condescending is Jehovah to become the confidence of his people. To trust elsewhere is vanity and the more implicit such misplaced trust becomes the more bitter will be the ensuing disappointment but to trust in the living God is sanctified common sense which needs no excuse the re its result shall be its best vindication now I like how Spurgeon started that quote he said what a privilege to be allowed to repose in God do we realize how, how, how privileged it is that we can trust in God? Do we grasp it? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. <clears throat> and then we go on in verse 2. As mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The mountains that physically surround Jerusalem and they shelter the city with physical issues. They made it much more difficult for an enemy to attack because it was up on a hill. And so the enemy had to go in and go up through the mountains and, and, and climb up. And the mountains are on every side, north, south, east, and west. And this is a picture of how the Lord surrounds his people. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. <clears throat> Keep
Keep your life from free from the love of money and be content in what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. <clears throat> so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now that last statement, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is a quote from Psalm 118. <clears throat> so it's the Lord who is our helper. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Just like the Lord is surrounding the people here, the Lord surrounds his own and his believers. <clears throat> but then we go on in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. When I first read this and was trying to write out notes, I read it and looked at it and went away for about a half hour and came back and did it again and did it again and did it again. Just let it kind of sink in how to handle this. God's protection does not stop the scepter of wickedness. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. It's going to keep going. God's protection does not stop the scepter of wickedness, at least until his eternal kingdom is here. In verse 3, we are told the scepter will not rest on the righteous. It may be temporary. It, may, it will not be permanent. Albert Barnes, who wrote in the early to mid-1800s, did a little bit before Spurgeon came into play, stated, <clears throat> shall not rest upon, permanently abide, or be the constant condition of the righteous. Another commentator said it may come and stay for a time, but it shall not be permitted to abide. Yeah, we're going to be attacked, but it's not going to be forever it's not going to be permanent the last half of verse 3 is interesting to me <clears throat> why doesn't it last God does not allow the dominion of the wicked of bad rulers of a harsh and oppressive government will not always be upon the people of God lest being crushed they should be led to acts of iniquity or less, being kept from the free service of God, they should abandon themselves to sin. And that's what Barnes said, again, this Albert Barnes. If that was permanent, the temptation to the believers would be to retaliate in a way that would be wrong. But God won't that last, allow that to happen. The righteous have a lot, Spurgeon went to say, the righteous have a lot which none can take from them. God has appointed them heirs of it by gracious entail. On that lot, the rod of the wicked may fall, but over that lot, it cannot have lasting sway. The saints abide forever, but their troubles will not. Whatever troubles we have, they're temporary. Now we go to First, Second Corinthians 4 verses 5 to 10, it shows us this. It says, For what we proclaim, 
is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now we could find other passages that say to say a similar thing. Yeah, we're afflicted, we're crushed, we're driven, we're persecuted, we're struck down, but we're not crushed, we're not driven to despair, we're not forsaken, we're not destroyed, because God will protect. Spurgeon has an interesting comment here. He said, The power and influence of wicked men when they are uppermost are used to lead or drive the righteous astray. But the godly must not accept this as an excuse and yield to the evil pleasure. In other words, don't don't bow down and just, well, I'm just going to abandon my faith because then you know, the, the, the problem will go away. He goes on and says, Far rather they must resist with all their might till it shall please God to stay the violence of the persecutor and give his children rest. This the Lord here promises to do in due time. You know, I'll admit that I never looked at the scepter of wickedness in this manner. Trying to be an influencer that the enemy uses to lead me astray. We ask, well, I'm afflicted. I got to, stay. you know, I've got to stay. Uh, you know, God, God will protect. He will help me not be crushed, not driven to despair. But the reason the scepter of wickedness is there, it's a temptation to lead us astray. To get us to say, oh, it's not worth it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna abandon the faith. But we have the insurance in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We have a means of escape. And then in verse 4, the psalm is a prayer for those who are followers of God. The prayer is a request of God's blessing on his people. It says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. And I read that, and as I looked at that, it's something that I realize I need to do more frequently. To pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for each one of you. Several times in the epistles, the Apostle Paul mentions this. In Ephesians 1.6, Paul, 
Paul said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We think of Paul as, you know, writing these epistles. But we don't think of Paul maybe as praying for all the people in Ephesus. Colossians 1.3, Paul says, we, I, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul was praying for the people in Colossae. And he was praying for others. These are just two examples. It will always be time well spent to pray for each other and for all believers in Christ who trust the Lord. And that's a, a challenge to me and hopefully a challenge to you to spend time in praying for everyone right here now, everyone that goes to this church, and the people who are believers in Christ. We need to pray for each other. And and not, you know, that someone's sick or someone, just pray that they would be strong in the Lord. Now we can get specifics with sickness or or you know physical things but that they that that we would not be pulled away by the scepter of wickedness but that we would remain strong in the lord and then the the psalm ends but those who turn aside to their crooked ways the lord will lead away with evil doers so verse 5 focuses on those who are evil. They might want to appear that they are followers of God, but they're not. And as Jim was talking this morning, you know, they crept, they creep in unawares, the creepers, they creep in unaware. You know, they might want to appear that they are followers of God. There's a lot of televangelists that want you to think that they're not. They turn aside to their crooked ways, it says. Sadly, there are a lot of people today, and there have been a lot in times past, it's just not today, who have turned aside to their crooked ways. And when they do that, it's hard not, try, not to try to do something to them. How can I stop it? But as this verse points out, this is what God will do. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. And when God does that, it's going to be with righteousness and it's going to be with justice. And those people will get their just reward or their just punishment. Now, it would be great if they would turn from that evilness and come to Christ. Spurgeon commented about these people. says, These people are neither upright in heart nor good nor trusters in the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will deal otherwise with them than with his own people. When execution day comes, these hypocrites... And time servers. That's interesting. Call them time servers. These hypocrites and time servers shall be led out to the same gallows as the openly wicked. He's not. He's not mincing any words here, right? 
All sin will one day be expelled the universe. Even as criminals condemned to die are led out of the city, then shall secret traitors find themselves ejected with open rebels. Divine truth will unveil their, their hidden pursuits and lead them forth. And to the surprise of many, they shall be set in the same rank as those who avowed wrought, who, who avowedly wrought iniquity. I didn't um, go back and get it, but there's a there's a a talk that R.C. Sproul gave one time about the about the the most uh, I can't remember what word he used, but the most devastating words that someone's going to hear, and that is. Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, didn't we cast out demons in your name? I never knew you. And then he goes into it. He says, can you imagine the pain and the anguish of that? I never knew you. But as Spurgeon said, divine truth will unveil their hidden pursuits. And lead them forth. And to the surprise of many, because they thought they were, they shall be set in the same rank as those who avowedly wrought iniquity. And then we have this last closing line. Peace be upon Israel. Boyce comments that the last line of the psalm, peace be on Israel, is a use of Israel not as those of ethnic descent, because it's not talking about the whole nation. Because some of these in this nation are these evildoers. But it's referring to those who were God's true people, to those who followed him. And we are told throughout scripture that God's peace will one day come to each and every one of his own or each and every one of his children. And that piece is going to be pretty incredible. And you probably figured out we're not going to get to Psalm 126 today. But you already have the notes. But the one thing I would say is let's try to make sure this week that we spend time praying for each other, praying for all the people in this church and all the believers in the world. We need prayer. And prayer doesn't change things. God changes things. Because we're praying to the God who can do that. Let's pray.